Myrtle Beach Pelicans Baseball and Abuelos Mexican Restaurant present the Pelicast. Join us as we dive into the in-depth stories of the Pelican players and coaches from their perspective. Now from the Abuelos Mexican Restaurant in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, here are your hosts, Zach Bigley and Noah Clunan. From Abuelos Mexican Restaurant in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, it's our pleasure to welcome you into the Pelicast. Alongside Noah Clunan, my name is Zach Bigley, and we're joined by Pelicans reliever Ryan Lawler. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. You like Mexican food? Yeah, I do, of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's the place to go, right? Yeah. Um, well, you know, we wanted to, to kind of start things out with your career and, and your life. You're on the Pelicast. We like to kind of dive into to players' lives and introduce you to Pelicans fans. When did you first start getting into baseball? Uh, you know, at a young age, obviously, T-ball. Um, so ever since I was little, I've always been in baseball. It's been my priority, um, probably my favorite sport. You know, I played basketball growing up as well, but I'd say baseball was the one that I played year-round and kind of stuck with. Well, do you have a favorite memory from when you were growing up with baseball? You know, I played on some pretty good teams, about 12 and under, when we were traveling and, and we're playing two or three games a day. And, some of those memories just back then, traveling with my friends and staying at hotels when you're a kid and swimming during the day and going <laughs> and playing two games. It's, it's just a lot of fun. What was, what was Georgia baseball like? Uh, you mean Georgia? You're growing up, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's very competitive, obviously. There's tons of baseball. Um, you know, you've heard of East Cobb. It's a yep. big, big area for a lot of tournaments and showcases. So basically anywhere you go, there's going to be good baseball. And, we were from Savannah, Georgia, which is, you know, a little bit further away from Atlanta, but we still found our way there and competed pretty well. When you weren't pitching when you were younger, where else were you playing? Uh, I was playing outfield, first base, usually center field, though. <laughs> Do you think you can still hold your own out there? I think so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously I'm not going to get that chance, but if, if it ever came down to it, I think – <laughs> put me out in center and I'd be able to at least do it defensively. I don't know about offensively anymore. <laughs> but Over this last week we saw Delvin Zinn, who's an infielder, trying to make his way out yeah. in the grass. What did you think of his performance out I there? I thought he looked great. You know, I was one thing we were talking about the bullpen is he looked really comfortable. Obviously he can he can move really well out there, but just the hand-eye coordination in the outfield looked really smooth. And so I was impressed. Growing up in Savannah, Georgia, it's a gorgeous area, and you actually grew up on an island out there. What was life like growing up for you? It was, it was fun, it, you know, just like any other childhood, we're riding around on bikes a lot, and there's a lot of fishing, and so we had plenty of things to do, but uh, I'd say it's a little bit different, you know, we get to go fishing and go to the pool and sometimes go to the beach, so obviously a lot of, a lot of things to do with your friends growing up and a lot of memories that we, that we made. You, growing up on an island, what does that mean exactly? So, yeah, like just in Savannah, there's, um, you know, you're on the coast, so there's several islands and kind of neighborhoods that are near the water, and... Uh, I just happened to grow up on Skidway Island, which is one of those islands that I'm referring to. And uh, um, there's a marina there where, like, people have their boats and, you know, lots of uh, lots of activities you can do, lots of, lots of things to do. So does Myrtle Beach at all resemble growing up in Savannah? It's very similar, yeah. Obviously there's more, um, you know, like roller – not roller coasters, but, like, you know, like the, the fairs and stuff like that going on. Savannah's a little bit more uh, laid back and – Kind of, but the beach and the the people and the way that they dress and stuff kind of reminds me <laughs> of that. So kind of that beach atmosphere. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's kind of like on their own time and stuff. <laughs> so. Growing up in the Georgia area, 
you had a huge influence from the Braves, obviously, and the Braves were coming off their heyday when you were growing up as the team of the 90s. What was it like to grow up in that time in baseball? It was great, you know, being a left-handed pitcher. I always modeled myself after guys like Tom Glavin and watched Greg Maddox and all those guys. So Chipper Jones, obviously, is always a – everyone wants to simulate their game after him. But, he's, you know, all those guys growing up were, were important for my love for the game and, you know, growing up and following their – their footsteps is kind of where you know I'm looking to do. Do you have a favorite memory from growing up with as a Braves fan? Uh, not really a favorite memory. Just just always watching the games and kind of going to practice and pretending to be one of those guys and practice <laughs> when you're a kid and stuff like that. So you went to University of Georgia following your your time growing up. Why did you pick Georgia? Uh, as soon as I got an offer from Georgia, it was like immediate. I just wanted to go there. I wanted to be a part of University of Georgia. You know, I grew up watching every Saturday, watching their football games and just being a fan. Uh, it's a big deal in Georgia, all over the state, and just to have that offer from them was something that I was for sure going to go and try to compete right away. So, Do you remember your first time walking onto campus at Georgia? Did you know it was home right away? Oh, man, it was, uh, it was overwhelming, honestly, at first because uh, – you know, I'm from, like I said, Savannah, and you go to University of Georgia. This this is a huge campus, and um, just to get around to class, you gotta you gotta have some type of transportation. Guys, <laughs> guys are riding around on scooters and bikes and stuff. So, and it's really it was just it was beautiful though. I knew I knew it was the right fit for me, and I was gonna adapt to it and have a lot of fun there. So, how'd you get around? I actually got a scooter my first. Okay, year. like a Razor scooter? No, it's like oh. a gas scooter, and everyone <laughs> right. kind of they kind of give us a deal and. All the athletes get them, and uh, my scooter lasted a year. It ended up breaking down. <laughs> so I just figured out the way through the bus and just walking and stuff. But, yeah, the scooter helped out for a little while, and then they kind of died off once everyone realized they were breaking down and stuff. <laughs> so. They went cheap on the scooters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you grow up a fan of, of a program and you end up going there, there's such lofty expectations. You know, there's the way you look at it as a fan growing up and then the way you look at it as an athlete and actually going there. Did Georgia meet those expectations for you? Hundred um, percent. Being in the SEC was a dream come true. It's just the competitiveness there and the fans you get. They're just diehard fans. So going there and my expectations were high. And then I got there and I was like, man, this is just a dream come true. Just to be able to, you know, you see the gear when you get there and your <laughs> locker and everything. And the program's always getting better and better. Every time I come back and visit, it seems like they've renovated something or made something even better than it was before. So. Now everybody knows about SEC football and how big that is and how big yeah. game day is, but for SEC baseball, it's almost as big down in the south. And what was game day like when you're getting ready to play at Georgia? Oh, man. You mean during football season? Football and baseball. So during the football season, um, you know, we would actually practice sometimes on the football game days. And while we're practicing, you know, fans are walking by, and it's already tailgate time for them, so they're yelling <laughs> at us. and like, They're you know, cheering for the Bulldogs as they're walking by, and we're sitting there practicing. Like, we can't wait to get out there and go join them. <laughs> so as soon as we got done practicing, we would all change and run out there and try to tailgate and, you know, get our school spirit going. But, uh, you know, for baseball, um, it's the same deal. I mean, people are, you know, there's not as many people, obviously, for a baseball game, but the people that do come to a baseball game seem to be uh, very loyal fans. They're going to be there all day tailgating and, it's a huge ordeal to them, and there's guys and younger guys in right field that uh, they were like in a fraternity, and they would, you know, they'd be up there screaming at us and 
and getting us hyped up. So it's a <laughs> lot of fun. Now, some of the best baseball atmospheres have, are in the SEC. You, you hear about LSU and you hear about Mississippi State and Arkansas and all these great atmospheres. How did Georgia stack up against those schools? Um, man, those are tough to compete with because LSU, Ole Miss, all those schools, Mississippi State, Arkansas, those are I think those are just uh, on another level right now. But Georgia's definitely catching up. Um, like I said, the fans there are very loyal, and they're the program's improving. So I think they're gaining more, more and more fans. And but to compete with LSU, that's tough because they're just getting 12,000 12, fans in an SEC game. So I think one day we'll get there. But um, Georgia still has a really good atmosphere. Did you have a favorite of those atmospheres that you pitched on on the road? Uh, for, for some reason, I really liked pitching at Old Miss. Um, mm -hmm. It was. Uh, they had a ton of college students there, which is, you know, makes it kind of cool. Um, as you're warming up in right field, they're all out there hackling you. And, I mean, they're, you know, and they're able to drink alcohol out there and stuff, <laughs> so they're all rowdy. And it was a good time, though, man. Lots of uh, close games out there. It was fun. What was the toughest place in the SEC to pitch? LSU. Yeah, your bullpen's on the field, you know, so oh, wow. and you got – when I pitched there, I was uh, pitching against Aaron Nola. So he's in the obviously big-time pitcher in the bigs now. And when I pitched there, it was their SEC home opener. I think they had 12,000 fans. and It was probably my first SEC start on the road, and I got welcomed pretty quick. That was a, <laughs> that was a lot going on. I'm warming up, and I swear I don't even remember warming up for my bullpen. I just wanted to get out there and get started because – you know, just be away from the fans a little bit because they're just <laughs> yelling at you and stuff. But it was fun. It it definitely uh, set me up for success later on because I got used to it pretty quick. Once we went somewhere else, I was like, I've already pitched to LSU and got that experience. So Fans can get pretty creative with some of their heckles and obviously oh, yeah. the clean version, but do you remember any of your favorite heckles that you ever got? Oh, they're just, you know, they're on your Facebook profile and they're looking <laughs> up your hometown and who you're friends with and just anything they can say to wow. kind of like, they're doing their research, you know. That's crazy. Yeah. So they know, like, they know your mom's name and, yeah, and stuff yeah. like they're, that. They're oh, dropping, name dropping stuff like that. <laughs> you're like, dang. <laughs> That's incredible. That see, so. you have to respect that a little. Yeah, bit, right? you do. You kind of get to the point where you just laugh. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not gonna really bother you. Um, you know, it's just part of them having fun, and you know, it's it's better on the road when you get to compete and you you don't hear them talking anymore because <laughs> you're doing well, and then they kind of just all silence. Do you, you have some pride in shutting them up a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's I awesome. I think all athletes kind of like that yeah. on the road. <laughs> There's always the, the question of in basketball mostly, would you rather hit a crowd silencer or hit a, hit a buzzer beater at home? Which yeah. mentality do you take? For some reason, I've always thrived with silencing the crowd. I don't know why. But obviously, if you win at home, it's a great feeling too. But I think it's a little bit tougher to, to be on the road and to, to have that mentality to – to be clutch and try to get your team a win when the circumstances aren't in your favor. SEC has had some crazy good athletes, and obviously in all sports, but in baseball especially, and on the mound, you out-dueled and dueled against, against a couple of good guys. You mentioned Aaron Nola, but mm -hmm. uh, Walker Bueller and yeah. your former teammate Alex Lang. Yeah. You faced some really good guys uh, on the other side of the mound. Do you remember watching those guys and really kind of being in awe of those pitchers? I do, I do actually. I remember watching Aaron Nola, and it was, um, it was impressive because – you know, guys were coming back from the dugout after hitting, and they weren't mad. And when they're not mad, they just know they got beat. So it was, it was like I would sit down after my inning, and next thing you know, there's two outs, and I got to get ready to go again. And then um, 
you know, maybe a year later you see him pitching in the bigs, you're like, okay, see, I, you know, I'm not too far away from this. And <laughs> um, You see guys like uh, Alex Lang as well, who was pretty much the, the, the center name at LSU. And that we actually pitched head-to-head -head against each other. And you just notice that those guys are always ready to compete every weekend. Um, they're not going to take a start off. And that's just one thing you notice from watching them as a, you know, perspective of being in the game and pitching against them. Because you don't really try to worry about what they're doing too much, but you do take notice of how they compete and stuff, and you know you got to step your game up to match that. Was Aaron Nola the toughest guy that you were faced head-to-head? -head? I'd probably say so. But then again, I faced Walker Bueller. But <laughs> for some reason, Aaron Nola just dominated us. Yeah. It was, it was at their home place, too, and he was like a junior. You know, he had that um, – seniority kind of effect to him where guys just kind of followed him and he just took over. Jeez. What was Walker Bueller like to watch at that level? Oh, you know, he was um, he was like a weekday starter for them for a while and everyone kept telling me like, you know, Dansby Swanson, we had some guys that were friends with him. They, he kept telling him like, wait till he gets in the weekend rotation. He's one of our best guys, but they just haven't seen that yet. And then he got in the weekend rotation. I actually faced up against him head to head on a Saturday at Georgia and he comes out there. I think our scouting report had him at like 94, 96, and then his first pitch was like 98. So we're like, <laughs> yeah, this guy's the real deal too. And, and he had four-plus pitches. And, yeah, he's already throwing four-plus pitches for strikes. So Goodness. I mean, that's the SEC, right? It's, yeah. it's every single day. And it's not only the pitchers, it's the guys you face as well. You mentioned Dansby Swanson. Yeah. You faced Andrew Benatendi, Pete Alonzo, plenty of great guys in the SEC who are now you know, legitimate big leaguers. Mm -hmm. Who were some of the toughest guys that you faced? You know, I remember Pete Alonzo being a guy that always hit the ball hard. <laughs> he kind of didn't have the the name like Dansby Swanson or Ben Intendi, but I remember thinking back to, like, that guy could hit. Every time he went up there, it was like he was barreling something up, whether it was at somebody or in the, you know, in the gap or over the fence. But, you know, seeing him now in the home run derby, it just makes sense. I was like, I knew that guy was special. <laughs> and then Dansby, um, he's a different kind of out. He's just – competitive and he's not going to swing at bad pitches so you know you got to throw good pitches in the zone because he's not going to chase unless you get him in a situation obviously where you can but Benintendi as well for some reason I matched up better against him but obviously everybody else he was just hitting really hard so you know he's gonna he's gonna get his at bats against you at some point you just got to keep competing and making the best pitches you can against guys like that. And I forgot Bregman too. You Bregman, faced him with LSU. Yeah, yeah he's a comp he's a competitor as well. <laughs> like he's one of those guys. Like you can see it in his face. Like when he's swinging and missing, he's getting he's getting mad. So you know he might miss one, but the next one he's right back in there trying to compete. So. That's what that's what Lang said. He told this story last time we had him on the podcast that they were not allowed to hit and, and do stuff after practice and stuff like that. Yeah. Well. Bregman went to the coach, and he was like, hey, I need to hit. I need yeah. to stay later. The coaches got so sick of coming in early and staying late, they just gave him a key. I've and, heard about and he that. Would just he would open it and close it every day. That's crazy. Incredible. Who was the toughest out that you had to work against? Who was the toughest guy to get? You know, there's always like a, a, like a leadoff hitter kind of slap guy that you can't really strike out, and they always seem to – put the ball in play. Those kind of guys were always the hardest hitters. I don't specifically remember a name, but I do remember a lot of guys in the SEC would put a really tough out leadoff spot. So you're starting off the game with the guy who's going to take you deep into counts and battle. There was a lot of them. I just can't remember a specific name right now. That would that would be, you know, that people would know. But there was a lot of good hitters. 
all these names and all these great atmospheres obviously mean a lot, but how much did pitching in the SEC specifically help you when it came to pro ball and, and kind of taking big moments and, and kind of putting that in perspective? It helps a lot um, being uh, accustomed to the pressure and obviously like at, a, at an early time in your career, you're already looking into scouting reports. You're already preparing as if you're, you know, going to be in the professional baseball one day. So I'd say having that experience early on, you know, with coaches that are, they, they know you want to go play at the next level. So they're preparing you for that. You know, my junior year, my coach was just say, hey, this is your business year. Like go out there and compete and get out of here. Like that was the goal was to, was to get drafted. So uh, I'd say, you know, having that preparation where you're kind of getting ready, facing competition at that high of a level really helped me a lot. But at the same time, professional baseball is a completely different animal. There's a lot more games. You're playing every single day. You know, the, the travel is very tough sometimes. So all those things are different. College, you kind of, you actually, you might have a little bit more handed to you at times. You get, you know, meals at all times and everything's given to you on you know you're not on the road kind of trying to find food on your own and stuff <laughs> like that but I'd say it prepared me the best it could but there's so much to learn in professional baseball obviously I'm you know my fourth or fifth year and still learning so you know it's it's just something that you kind of have to go through with professional baseball to learn there's nothing that can really prepare you for it all the way was there a moment at Georgia where before your junior year maybe that you're like, I think that I'm at a point where I can play professional baseball at a legitimate level? Yeah. Um, my junior year, I just kind of stepped up, started throwing a bit harder. Um, I felt like I was taking care of my business the right, you know, the right ways. And was throwing harder. My stuff was getting better. Scouts were at a lot of the games to come see me. And I'm facing these guys who are going to be first-rounders and I think I'm competing well with them, so I kind of at that point was like, you know, I think I can do this. Um, just try to control what you can control and keep working hard. When you got to drafting, picked in the eighth round by the Braves, do you remember where you were when you got picked? Yeah, I was. We were upstairs at my house and we were watching on the, the computer because you know the second day is pretty pretty much on the computer, and uh, we were all surrounded by the computer, my whole family. And, you know, it's kind of a stressful day. But once that pick finally came up, I think it was just pure joy and celebration, man. It's just a lot of hard work to get to that point And just, you know, you just want to go outside and run around or something. <laughs> You're so happy. It's just a good feeling. What did it mean to get picked by the Braves? It was huge, man. I was obviously like growing up a Braves fan. Went to University of Georgia. So I think a lot of people from my hometown rallied around me even more just because it was a hometown thing, you know, going to the Braves. I was excited to get there. And, you know, when you first get drafted, you think you're going to Atlanta right away. <laughs> and then you kind of you get sent to, like, all these other teams. You're like, oh, man, I'm in for a long road. But at the same time, I was proud to be a part of the, you know, organization that I grew up liking and watching. So, What do you remember about when you first reported to the Braves camp? Um, so my roommate, college roommate, and I both got drafted by the Atlanta Braves. So we kind of met up. We went to Orlando, Florida. And we're wearing, like, you know, shorts and a T-shirt. <laughs> and we show up and, you know, everyone else there is, like, dressed up nice and clean-shaven. And I guess we didn't go to the hotel first. You were supposed to go to the hotel to get your itinerary, and it tells you to be clean-shaven and wear a, wear a <laughs> collared shirt. So we both show up and we're like, oh, we got to go change, like, immediately and go <laughs> shave. So we, we had to go back. 
that's when we kind of realized, like, this is a real deal. You know, this is a business. You got to be looking professional every single day. And uh, it was intimidating. You know, you see, I was there, and there's obviously big league guys rehabbing in Orlando. And I think my locker was next to a big leaguer. His name was uh, Andrew, A.J. McKeerhan. Andrew McKeerhan, I can't remember which one he goes by. And I, he shook my hand, and uh, little did I know he was, you know, had big league time. And, you know, it was just kind of a eye-opening experience right there that, um, you know, these guys have been, these are grown men. You know, you're not around college kids anymore. You're around grown, grown men that are competing for their families and careers. So, yeah, it was a cool experience. The Yankees get such a, a big rap when it comes to the clean-shavenness and the professionalness, but the Braves, you don't hear about that very often yeah. uh, back when, when they did it. What was that like in your first introduction to, to kind of see, like, well, this is, this is how it's done and, and this is the professional level now? Yeah. Um, you know, it's a little intimidating at first, but you kind of grow to respect it. Um, you understand that the that's just a tradition that's been held around for a long time. You know, there's a lot of guys that have come through, and you kind of got to earn your stripes mentality. And, um, you know, there was a really cool guy, Dave, Dave Trimbley, who was our farm director at the time, and he was very old school, which I grew to respect. You know, at first I thought it was, you know, you know, kind of ridiculous. We all had to shave and cut our hair short, but I grew to respect him and uh, respect the game for that because of the tradition and the old school mentality that they had. Now they actually have changed it. They've grown back into the new style of baseball. People are growing their facial hair out in the minor leagues and wearing their pants how they want. But uh, <laughs> for the short time that I was there, it was a cool experience to respect the game in that manner. So You have the beard now. Yeah. You, li you like that better? I do like the beard. <laughs> you know, it's just – you don't have to maintain it as much. And we got a guy, Vargas, in the locker room that can give us haircuts and trim you up. So it's cool, man. We still look professional, I would say. Um, get to rock your own style, which is a good feeling. How good is the haircut that Vargas gives? Uh, he's pretty good, man. Is I he? tell everybody all the time, like, new guys come in, I'm like, hey, if you need a haircut, you got to go see Vargas. <laughs> he's always in there cutting hair, too. He loves it. You're like his little commercial. Yeah. He gets, he gets I'm like, hey, he's the real deal. <laughs> all right. You know? So he's cool, man. How, how nice is that just to have somebody in the locker room that you can just go to? Yeah, it's awesome. Like, he's, like you're going to places all over the country. You don't really know what you're going to get from a haircut. <laughs> so you get Vargas, you know, he's going to – he's just a cool guy, man. He's cool to be around. He's he's just – you know, he's playing his Latino music while he's giving you a haircut. <laughs> Di different kind of cultural aspect, but I like him a lot, man. He's cool. You were telling a story earlier about how when you were in the Braves organization – you had your facial hair a little longer than you probably should yeah. have, and, and somebody said something yeah, about exactly. it. Yeah, like, exactly. Um, you know, the guy I was mentioning, Dave, he comes into town, and he kind of shakes your hand and kind of inspects you for a little bit, and I, <laughs> I, that's when I kind of realized, I was like, man, I haven't, you know, shaved in like a day or two, so the stubble's coming in. At that point, I immediately went to the, the bathroom area and tried to shave it really quick before he said something, but yeah, so that's how that went. <laughs> From the Braves organization standpoint versus the Cubs organization, what are some of the main things that you notice between the two? Um, obviously, there's a, you know you have an opportunity to to succeed with any uh, organization. It's kind of you know it's on you. There's there's a, there's so much that they can do to help you, but at the same time, a lot of it's on you. And when I was with Atlanta, I'd, I'd say my circumstances just didn't go my way. I got injured a few times. Uh, missed out on some innings when I when I really needed to prove myself. And, um, you know, as much as I don't want to talk, you know, down, but it just wasn't as much of a fit for me. I didn't have the, the um, I guess, 
I didn't have as many resources to, to figure things out and kind of to get healthy and stuff like that. As soon as I joined the Cubs, I, I'm fortunate, you know, to have things like a nutrition consultant to uh, talk with and, uh, you know, mental, mental skills coaches. And we're doing um, anything from, you know, meditation to pregame routine analysis and, and video analysis. And it's just, it's just been huge for me. I think I'm a guy that likes to prepare the best I can. And, and that's how I was in college. I kind of, you know, I tried to do that in pro ball with Atlanta, but I just didn't, you know, mesh as well. So here with Chicago, I feel, I feel comfortable, and I feel like I'm getting a fair opportunity, which is, which is always a good feeling. The nutrition program, it's something that's overlooked so much when it comes to guys in the Cubs system because that's something that's pretty unique, and there are a few other organizations that are doing it, but it was funny talking with manager Steve LaRude. He said when he was coming up, you had peanut butter and jelly in the clubhouse, yeah. and you could pay $2 for a cup of noodle, <laughs> and yeah. that was it. And, and the Cubs will roll out full meals and yeah. full spreads every single day, twice a day. What does that mean to have that in front of you and you know you have an organization that cares about what you're eating and what you're putting into your body? Yeah, it's huge, man, because those things add up for the course of a season. We're here for, what, six months, including spring training. I mean, if you decide to just take half of a year off with that aspect of your game, it's going to catch up to you. You know, some guys are trying to maintain and add weight and not put on weight. So there's many goals for a lot of us, and it's hard to maintain that for five, six months being away from home. So I'd say coming here and having that um, – wide variety of food and selection and smoothies and <laughs> stuff like that is it's huge for recovery too because after you pitched you got chris in there like hey drink your smoothie the happiest guy of all <laughs> yeah, time yeah he's always <laughs> in a good mood that's what i've noticed is a lot of the staff with with the cubs are just always generally in a good mood just they love their job which is hard to do sometimes with this lifestyle and they all seem to keep a good attitude which helps us kind of stay positive and create a good environment for for playing and winning now everybody's got their favorite smoothie. What's yeah. your go-to? You know, I like to pack it with a lot of nu nutrition in there. I like blueberries and strawberries, banana, a little bit of peanut butter. So it tastes there like you go. tastes like any other smoothie you get. But then it, Chris is adding some things that you might not even taste: spinach, and <laughs> chia seeds, and He's it turns you. into green yeah. all yeah, of a yeah, sudden. Yeah, it's <laughs> like a little bit of like purplish green, and you're like, whatever. It tastes good. You know what I mean? He knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. I just trust him. So he's cool. You have a really interesting perspective because obviously you played in two professional organizations, yeah. but you also played independent ball playing with yeah. Normal, uh, the Frontier League. In terms of the difference of professional ball and, and indie ball, it seems like it's more of an individual aspect versus a team philosophy. Did you yeah. notice that? Definitely. You know, I showed up. Um, the biggest thing for me with independent ball was I wanted to find a manager that kind of knew my situation. I was coming off of a back injury that – you know, I told him, I was like, I'm not going to be able to jump in and throw five innings right away for you. And sometimes in independent ball, you're expected to do things like that when you're not really able to train like that on your own at home. You know, I'm at home rehabbing, getting after it 7 in the morning, two days two days a, or two times a day trying to get healthy. But at the same time, I can't go face hitters. I can't just set that up and throw five innings in my hometown anywhere, really. Not any team is going to have time to – even a high school team is going to have time for you to throw five innings to them. <laughs> so I told him that. I was like, hey, man, I'm going to show up. I'm going to be able to throw one to two innings, and we can build it up from there. And I showed up to normal Illinois. I drove there. Um, I think I split it up into two days. I showed up. And everybody just kind of goes about their business on their own. 
you know, you got guys in there. Like I said, there's anywhere from 25 to 19, any, you know, anywhere from the country. So, uh, and out of the country. So I showed up and I kind of found another guy that we kind of meshed, John, John DeMarte. He's actually playing with like Team Israel now. Uh, we both kind of had similar routines. We like to throw and do all this stuff, work, sprints, all sorts of stuff. So me and him would go out there at a certain time. Guys would go out kind of within an hour time frame and just get your work in, go throw. And me and him really meshed well, which was huge, like I said, to have somebody there to, you know, push me and keep me keep me intact. And I kept him, kept him liable as well. And then from there, it was just getting healthy, building my pitch count up to back to being a starter, which is what, you know, on the market, uh, an independent ball is huge as left-handed starters. A lot of organizations are in need for that. So uh, Billy Horn, my manager, um, kept me in the loop, said, hey, these teams are talking about you. They are interested. I would see them come to the games with, you know, scouts and stuff. And uh, as soon as my pitch count got kind of built up to 80, 90 pitches and I was pitching really well, uh, he came up to me and told me that the Cubs had purchased my contract and I was like more excited almost in the draft day <laughs> it was like a second draft day so it was really cool where were you when you found that out I was actually on the field getting ready to play catch I had like a bullpen that day so I'm in there like doing my bands and my manager comes down he's still wearing his street clothes usually he you know changes already and comes out there with us to throw and I guess he had been on the phone you know working out the details of the contract and I'm like what are you doing still you know still dressed we're about to start throwing and he's like <laughs> I don't know, man. Do you want to be a Chicago Cub? And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, man, congrats. And, like, shook my hand. And, like, I'll remember it like it's yesterday. I can still see it in my head what he was wearing and everything. Uh, it was a good moment. Everybody on the team was happy for me, like all the other guys. It's just a goal for us to get out of there and go back to affiliated ball or for some guys to earn their first spot at an affiliated team. So it was an awesome experience. That's really cool. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what it's all about right yeah. there. And from there you went to South Bend. And uh, you worked with Brian Lawrence, pitching coach, who's yeah. now pitching coach here. A guy who has a lot of experience in the big leagues, and obviously he pitched, pitched in one of the most nasty divisions in the yeah. early 2000s sure. in the NL West. Have you picked his brain a little bit about kind of how to actually pitch? Because he wasn't a guy yeah. who had 94 like you do. Yeah, that's the thing, though. Now, even if you throw 94, you got to know how to pitch. <laughs> yeah, Guys are going to hit velocity, and it's crazy. Um you got to be able to throw, you know, several pitches for strikes in the zone and all that. But B-Law is what we call him. Yeah. Uh, he's very wise, man. He's He's got so much information. You kind of got to go ask him yourself. He's not going to just share it because, you know, he's a big leaguer. He's got that mentality of – He some guys don't want to just be talked to all the time. They don't want to have that – they don't want to be coached up. But if you're going to go talk to him and get some advice from him, he's going to – He's going to tell you everything that he knows. He's going to give you the best information possible. And there's actually a couple of days ago we were just talking. I was talking about scouting reports and certain guys in the league. And he's like, yeah, man, like, that doesn't change. You know, you're in the big leagues. There's guys that kind of have the same thing. Like, fastball down and away, fastball glove side or down and in is always going to be bread and butter. Like, no matter where you are, you got to command the fastball. We talked about just the importance of throwing other pitches for strikes early in the count. You know, just, just hearing his his uh, experience in the, the big leagues is really cool. He was telling me about Randy Johnson. He was hitting <laughs> off of him. <laughs> oh, and he said, uh, you know, 
Randy threw him a like a slider that kind of just spun, and it just was, he was like, man, I can hit that, you know. <laughs> so he throws him another one. He swings at it. He ropes it down the left field line. He said it went just foul, and he's like, oh, if he throws that again, I got him. And then he said Randy threw his really good slider, and it just disappeared. And he swung like the last one. He said he thought he hit it over the fence, but it was in the glove. <laughs> so that's just a cool experience. We were talking about the importance of throwing an off-speed strike. Sometimes it doesn't have to be your nastiest pitch, you know, off the get-go. It's just the importance of showing it and um, keeping that in the back of a hitter's head. So, you know, you can get away with throwing a backdoor breaking ball sometimes. That hitter thinks that's your, your breaking ball. Then you throw him one that actually breaks down and in, kind of looks like a fastball, and he's never seen that pitch. It's like two separate pitches almost. So we are just talking about the importance of mixing in strikes and just attacking hitters. So it's almost like you're bluffing. Like kind a, of a bad breaking ball. Almost. Like kind of like a pickoff move where you yeah. don't give them the best move and then you give them the best yeah. move. That's really interesting. Yeah. Okay. It's kind of it's it's going to be a pitch that they're not going to be able to hit as well. You know, it's not going to be like meaty down down the middle or anything, but it's going to be a pitch that kind of starts off the plate outside and just kind of comes across for a strike. You'll see guys like Madison Bumgarner throw that pitch a lot. Every every big league pitcher has their 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 form of it. But that's kind of what I try to do is I'll throw like a backdoor. So it's kind of starting off the outside corner, coming back for a strike, and then I'll throw him a really good one that breaks more, comes across the strike zone a little bit more, so it looks more enticing to a hitter to swing. So That's really cool. Well, yeah. that's that's insight right there. Yeah, <laughs> well, uh, we're going to finish off things here with uh, with some rapid-fire questions. All right. um, we know you're a big Bulldog fan, okay. so we hope you uh, you brought your knowledge because oh, we're going to hit you with some, <laughs> uh, with some trivia. You want to start us off, Noah? Yeah, so you were at Georgia 2014-2015. Okay. Do you remember that football team? I'm sure you do, but who was the quarterback? 2014. 2014. 2014 was, man, was that still Murray or was it Eason? Oh, man, I don't know. You Hudson Mason. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he kind of snuck in there for a year. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, he did. He was only the starter for a year, but that team was not known for their quarterbacks. Yeah, it was the running that. backs. Do you remember yeah. the trio? Yeah, we had Gurley, Michelle, and uh, Chubb was there. Oh, so yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. How fun was that team? Oh, that was a great, incredible <laughs> experience. You see those guys on campus, and you think of them as, like, famous movie stars or something. <laughs> like, that's how, they, you know, that's how they're portrayed on the campus. It was cool to see those guys. They're, you know, beasts. Honestly, that's, that's crazy. No it was this. It was the same thing with, with me going to Oregon. Yeah. When Marcus Mariota walked by, yeah. it was like a swarm of people. It was insane. Yeah. It's it's crazy, man. They're famous on campus yeah. for sure. <laughs> and they're they're just normal guys. Yeah. But exactly. It's absolutely they gotta, crazy. They got to be under a scope at all times too, so they got to yeah. be careful. It's crazy. Exactly. All right. The next year, 2015. Do you remember who the quarterback was? 15. Yeah. That was Eason, right? Nope. Man, Murray. Nope. Nope. It's another kind of little-known name guy. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. Hudson Mason was the one we just said. Yeah. And Mason was quarterback a little bit during that 2015 season, too, but not much. They went 10-3, and three, beat Penn State in the Tax Slayer Bowl. We're putting you under a microscope here. This is tough. <laughs> I know. Man, I don't even remember this one. <laughs> Grayson Lambert. Yep, I remember now. <laughs> he transferred from, like, somewhere else, I think, and he was, like, a senior that year. Okay. I remember that. I think he broke the completion record, like, in, in a single game that year. Jeez. Yeah. He was, like, 19 of 20 or something like that. It's wow. crazy. Wow. What was the best game you went to, Georgia football? Uh, You know, there was a game against, 
I want to say like LSU maybe. It was just a pretty crazy game. I don't remember exactly what happened, but I just remember that game being really good. And the atmosphere, absolutely wild. Oh, yeah. They're always wild. <laughs> Even like a noon game sometimes. They're oh, still wow. out there playing a mid-major score or whatever, and it's still crazy. Jeez. Wow. All right, we're going to go rapid fire now, non-baseball, non-football, non-sports. Okay. Uh, favorite thing in your closet right now? Uh, probably his button-down shirt I'm wearing. <laughs> <laughs> he brought out what his is, good shirt today. What is that? On Who knows? I got it from a – They look like hooks. Yeah, yeah, like a Marshalls around here, pretty cheap. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So. That's awesome. All right. If you could be from any other decade or era, what would you be from? Uh, like – Medieval times. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Why? Even with I no have plumbing? no idea. Just maybe like be one of those knights. <laughs> okay. Like crazy knight. knight. There you go. I like it. <laughs> What's the number one song in your playlist right now? Uh. Oh man. So I actually just like just ran out of music. I gotta re like <laughs> re-subscribe to my Apple Music. So I've just been playing the Apple Radio, and I'll just okay. play whatever's on there. I'll kind of wear it out i'll wear out one song for like an entire road trip and then i'll come home and then reevaluate get a new song so whatever's on apple music apple radio i'll just shuffle through there you go <laughs> uh when we had alex lang here on the podcast he said that he loved this one type of five gum and okay. so his mother because it was going they were discontinuing it so his mother bought $500 worth of this five gum wow and she gives him a pack every time she sees him if you had to buy $500 of any non-perishable food item that was going out of business and you couldn't live without, what would you buy? Wow. That's a good one. Uh, that is so tough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've been on like a watermelon kick lately. I don't know why. Okay, like we always eat watermelon and the, the okay. spread before the game, so I just get like a 10 or 15 watermelons to have it all times. <laughs> You're just carrying Your suitcases full of watermelon. Yeah. <laughs> Something. I don't know what it is. Chris has got me on them. There you go. Yeah. That works. All right. So one of the hot topics in the clubhouse this year has been if there was a pickup basketball game and you had to pick five from the okay. Pelicans, who's your number one pick? So Delvin Zinn probably. He okay. told right. me he was like on the Mississippi State team for a little bit. Okay. okay. So I, I, he obviously he picked baseball, but I'd have to go with that if he's telling the truth. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's fair. But I'm going with Delvin for sure. I've seen him shoot around because we'll go to the gym on the road, and there's always a basketball court. You know, I'm in there like kind of walking through, and I'll see him shooting. So I've seen some, some good shots out of him. I'd say I'd take Delvin. Did he, you know Cavante Mitchell averaged 25 and 10 his junior and senior year in high school? Yeah, but it's high school. You don't know what, <laughs> where he's playing. But Kevante, I'd say he's probably my second bet, man. Okay. All right. Big okay. guy. Okay. He's pretty athletic. I'd say he's my second pick. But Delvin, I'm taking him point guard. All right. I like that. <laughs> um, if you're stranded on an island, which teammate do you want with you? Wow. Uh, <laughs> and why. And why. <laughs> yes, exactly. Man, probably, oh, man, you know, that's a tough question because you could go with someone that's really smart, but if you just don't know if you have a chance to survive, you got to have someone you're just going to have fun with. Oh, I thought you were going to say someone you're going to eat. No, 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 no. <laughs> Definitely not that. I'd say, you know, who'd keep me entertained is Camargo. <laughs> I'd have to go with somebody at that point that's just going to keep me entertained and maybe survive a little bit longer. 
I think we've gotten Jesus Camargo, Erling Moreno for that question. Yeah. Did we get a Tyler Payne? We got I a think? Tyler Payne because he's probably resourceful. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Right. But if we're on this island, I don't even really know how long we're going to live. I'm good with Camargo. <laughs> Just have a good time. and Maybe maybe he knows something I don't know about survival. Is he the funniest guy in the clubhouse? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm in the bullpen with him every day. Too, so <laughs> he's keeping us entertained for sure. Long season. He's so funny, man. Sunflower seeds or bubble gum? Uh, I'm a seeds guy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so there was a huge brawl in Cincinnati last night. I saw that. Yeah. Okay. If you had to pick one guy to have your back on this team, who would it be? Oh, on this team? Probably Cavante. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. We've heard a little Cavante, Manny Rodriguez. Manny, for sure, he if could, I'm going with the pitcher. Yeah, he could bring his he could bring his Cavante weight. Cavante for a position player, if you got to split it up. Those are my two. There All you right. go. There's his top two. <laughs> All right. All right, well, we're going to enjoy some executing food here. That's going to do it for the PeliCast for Noah Clunan. My name is Zach Bailey. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. It's a lot of fun. All right, we'll talk to you next month on the last edition of the 2019 PeliCast.